Welcome, you dutiful, determined, dedicated audience. You give me cause, the cause to ponder deep and weary, and craft new content for you. I am particularly thrilled to present this session as I find the material engrossing beyond terrestrial comprehension. I will divulge very personal outlooks and pull back the concealing curtain for you, dear listeners. After 25 regular sessions, six shorts, and an introductory episode, we have what constitutes a marriage with our closeness and duration of time spent together. I'll tell you a little trivia. I was looking over some of my x-rays from 2017 when the old can man injected me with his cancerous tumors. And this was 2017 and I saw some language in one of the video assisted surgery images that talked about coronavirus testing. Is that not crazy that coronavirus obviously existed in some form or fashion five years ago? I'd never heard of it until people started coughing on each other's faces in my office. But wow, coronavirus in print on an x-ray from at least five years ago. That is nutsoid. I come out lyrically swinging with some mother slash father F-stars quotes. P.S. Procrastinated statement. Why has it historically only been mother F-stars? Why only incite lewd behavior on one's mother? I say extend it to other avenues of the family tree. Uncle F-stars, sister F-stars, cousin F-stars. I say leave no familial branch unviolated. <laughs> Man, I am crazy. The goal, after all, is to shock and offend when you swear in that manner, is it not? Quotes. Burnout isn't a personal problem. It's a societal one, and it will not be cured by productivity apps or a bullet journal or face mask skin treatments or overnight F-Stars oats. Anne Helen Peterson. Can't even how millennials became the burnout generation. Another quote. I think there's something seriously wrong with a society that thinks it's wrong to tell the truth because it could potentially hurt someone's feelings. You're not doing anyone any favors if you don't allow snowflakes to develop coping skills by shielding them from uncomfortable thoughts. Oliver Marcus Malloy. Never confuse a single defeat with a final defeat. F. Scott Fitzgerald. In case you have not already detected, dear listeners, I possess a propensity for dropping multisyllabic $64,000 words. It is not meant to impress or to complicate, but rather just a vocal expression extension of who I am. Do you know what I did back in the day when the cool kids and my friends were toking the reefer at their latchkey friends' homes? I was writing F-Star's flashcards for new words, the part of the speech for the word, singular tense, plural tense, pronunciation, and how to use an F-Star's sentence. I shiz you not. Words have always been my merry sanctuary. I am a logophile and a cinephile in equal measures. I love the words, I love the films, and a good film with great words is tantamount to, as I have alluded to prior, a dog with two penises. Very happy indeed. Why call a coworker lazy? when you can call them slothful, a boss dumb, when you can label them an ignoramus. Why call that gaggle of girls a group of ladies, when you can call them a guild of docile creatures? Words are fun and expressive, and the more colorful the selection, the better the F-Star's imagery. Bear with my word choices, dear listeners, and I will spin you tales of F-Star's wonderment. I confess to you, one, you will get the truth here. I do sometimes embellish for the sake of humor and to complete a thought, but you get the truth here. Yes, I'm Falsetto Prophet, 
Yes, I maintain anonymity, but my words are no less accurate or honest. I can tell you here and now, I was born in the wrong effing decade, time period, or generation. Do you ever feel like that? As though you're a stranger in a strange F-Star's land? We are evolving too fast. Phantom cellular limb syndrome, we've talked about that. Participation trophies for all involved. More acronyms in circulation than actual factual F-Star's words with all the LOL and laughing my F-Star's A off. Stop it. Just use words. Swiping right instead of in-person insight. 30-minute delivery of any conceivable commodity. Thank you, Amazon. When is the last time you received a handwritten letter from someone other than an aging, ailing grandparent or great-grandparent? When is the last time you met a complete effing stranger danger in a public place that was not your workplace and forged a lasting friendship? When is the last time you took in a breathtaking view while addressing a mountain, glacier, or waterfall and took not one memento photo? I do not belong in this F-Star's cultural climate, but what can you do? I can't build a time machine. I'm not going to suicide myself. All I can do is alter my perspective. I see no other angles here. If you know what I'm talking about, please alter your perspective. Or I guess you could build a time machine because you're probably more technologically savvy than me. But do not suicide yourself. I worked for an F-Stars conglomerate that penny-pinched on people's deductibles. Okay, so deductible. Every person who has an insurance policy has a deductible that they're responsible for. So we worked in a department, subrogation, where obviously we are asserting the claim that our customer either was not at fault at all, or maybe they were partially at fault, but ultimately there is a person, a responsible party, that did the deed and now they have to pay the piper. We have deductibles for our customers, ranging in value from $250 to $10,000. Every case is a little different. What the company could have done was just given the insureds their deductibles back immediately, dollar one, and then we would just take the leftover. It would have been easy to do. It would have been universal. It would have just been a top-down policy that everyone happily instituted. But oh no, for all the time I was there and to this day, they adopt a different approach of no, let's give them a percentage of their deductible. Let's make them wait for two years or three years to get a portion of their deductible. And instead of the managers explaining the lame brain process to the kids, to the customers who get angry and irate and want to throw tantrums, they make us do it. We have to explain every little thing along the way about why we have to pay them a percentage and why we could give them the whole, but we choose not to. And at no point can we ever say, well, blame my company because it's not my policy. You know why you can't do that? Because you have to take ownership. They won't let you take co-ownership or a percentage ship. You have to take the whole enchilada. Mmm, enchilada. But this enchilada is not tasty. This enchilada is an enchilada that has been wiped on the bathroom floor that Lambro is probably sitting in as we speak. It was a bad policy. And it was highly annoying, frustrating, and exhausting. But that's the way they chose to play it. They were too cheap, miserly, avaricious. And in that cupidity, they lost me as a potential white-collar Kool-Aid sugar. I did not believe in the company anymore because they could have done what other companies did and offer $1 deductibles. Why the F-Stars did you not make it $1 and give our customers whom you laud as our lifeblood their F-Stars money? The cost is inconsequential over time. Buffoons and goons, I call them, still to this day. To link this to a philosophical, yet extremely contemporary and practical approach. We will soon talk about Albert Effing Camus. But first, we must define some variables. I told you I do not belong in this time period. But with the cross-generational workforce that we have, you are working with people that are from all different philosophies and all different walks of life. There are about five primary groups that make up our contemporary workforce. 
Baby boomers were born between 1946 and 1964. They're currently anywhere from 57 to 75 years old. You know baby boomers. You recognize baby boomers. Then there's Generation X between 1965 and 1980. They're currently between 41 and 56 years old. Generation Y, now the popular phrase, is millennials. Unfortunately, I fall in the millennial category, but I do not identify with millennials. Those of you either know or have no clue what I'm talking about, but if you're in a similar ship that I am in, you can understand the frustration with being labeled something that you don't identify with. Millennials were born between 1981 and 1994 to 6. They're currently between 25 and 40. Now, I am very close to the edge of not being a millennial and possibly being a Generation X, but as it is, I am technically a millennial, but I do not adopt it. I do not support it. Generation Z is the newest between 1997 and 2012. They're anywhere from 9 to 24. And then, of course, you have Generation Alpha because A comes after Z when you start over the alphabet with people born in 2012 and will go through 2025. They are too young to be working in an insurance company, for example, but they will be there. What I'm hoping is that with Generation Alpha and with the Generation Z and the Millennials, as they get older and they have more clout in the company, they are the ones pushing the more proactive workplace suggestions, working from home, more flexible schedules, more perks and benefits for immediate returns on things that you achieve. That is what I'm hoping changes these dinosaur fossil corporations, such as the one that I used to work for. They were a very old company in that they believed that if it was a good idea in 1958, it's still a good idea now. Not factoring in 70 years of changes and growth. It's ridiculous. It took them so long to make official the working virtually, it would make your stomach sick and your head spin. COVID happened, we were already working one day a week from home, and it took them about two years to formally declare that just our office space, the bomb shelter, would be closed and defunct and you could work from home. But I'll tell you, for all those of you at my former company who are enjoying and appreciating the work from home option, don't count your eggs because they're not all hatched. They could easily change that or revert back to, well, now you have to go into these like communal rooms or you have to go into these hotels or you have to go into these public workstations at least three days a week. I wouldn't put it past them. The reason I went over the different classifications of generation is because you have to know there has been a lot of change in a short amount of time. And we, in our contemporary culture, for those of us that were born in, say, the last 35 years, are totally screwed. We are screwed because we have no sense of identity. The baby boomers had a clear identity. Americans enjoyed newfound prosperity, so then, bam, it resulted in a baby boom. But everything since then, we lack a cultural identifier. Generation X just shows how confused we all are. Because the term X has been used before, it generally signifies the unknown. Malcolm X, for comic book fans, you had Weapon X, X-Men, unknown mathematical variables. There is a lack of identity. With things moving as quickly as they are culturally and technology-wise, we don't really have any values. And whatever values we have are passed over within 15 effing minutes. It's very hard to know what is the right approach to tackling this beast we call life. Which is why we get philosophical in this Chemohawk session short. Welcome, audience, to Chemohawk session short number seven, Slow Mohawk, a life less taxing. Slow Mohawk or Slow Mohawk. I was given gallons of perspective when I was going through chemo, when I was laying there in a life and death effing struggle in the hospital. I still had my Mohawk, but everything was put in slow-mo or slow motion from my perspective. As I was laying there, I had them remove the clock on the wall and I had them close the blinds to the ICU room. To this day, I don't know why I did that. I was in a drug-infused stupor. I think it was my way of trying to punish myself for past sins. 
I hadn't always been nice to people. I hadn't always been as considerate, thoughtful, and understanding as I could have been. So I saw the cancer and I saw the surgery that led to lung complications. I saw this as my penance. I am going to wear this jacket of penance. And then when I'm done, I'm going to take it off. And I'm not going to struggle with how moral I am anymore because I've paid my dues and I get a tabula rasa, John Locke's Latin approach to a blank slate. I can tell you that in slow mohawk, where time slowed down and my mohawk was still growing in the hospital, it gave me time to think, think about my place and position in life and what it all mattered and what I should do from that moment forward. I can tell you first and foremost, one resounding notion I kept coming back to was I need to be very meticulous on how I treat people. I need to treat people that have been kind to me exceptionally well. And I need to treat people that have been unkind to me with just blatant indifference. Not hatred or rage, but just not care anymore. Let it go. Oh man, it was such a refreshing feeling to just let it go and to start with newfound fuel being kind to people. And I have been very kind. <laughs> I take no prisoners on the kindness. And I think it makes me a better person for it. Now, this allows us in slow-mo hawk fashion to get philosophical. You either can be philosophical or you can be practical or you can be a hybrid of the two. This leads to me, after you finish this chemo hawk session short, to a life less taxing. That's what we're here to do. Make your life less taxing and unwind the F-Star's daily grind. Philosophical and philosophy matters, dear audience, just as the practical does. Like my man Lambro, he's very practical. But I think the philosophical often matters even more so. When the pragmatic explanations no longer quench your intellectual or purposeful thirst for knowledge, quest for more, it behooves you to entertain, embrace, and explore the philosophical. Notice how I phrase that. Embracing is not enough. Embracing simply means to accept, welcome, take up, or incorporate. Think of a prior chemohawk session on the lie of diversity. We embrace diversity, my former company would claim, but it ends there. It is like saying we tolerate you, as in we tolerate smokers, but we do not want them in our building or near our premises, but we can't legally turn them away. Okay, bad example. Smokers are treated like pedophilic lepers, but the rub is that the phrasing of ideals is vital. If you, WCC, truly wanted diversity, you would first define diversity clearly and unequivocally, why it is beneficial, and then you would post near the learning delivery F-Star specialist, we roll out the velvet carpet for foster, encourage, and downright demand a hospitable environment for the glorious F-Star's petri dish of diversity. Something like that. There is a scene between Vic Mackey and Lieutenant John Cavanaugh in that great police action thriller show, The Shield, that is very telling and touching on what we are about to collectively chew on. This is for you, J-Dog, fellow Shield show aficionado, Vic. I told you you weren't ready to play at this level, Kavanaugh. Wouldn't have mattered even if I was. The truth is, it isn't your time yet, but it'll happen. The universe will take out its trash when it's ready. Looks like it already has. You corrupted everything around you, turned a good man like Lemansky into a thug and a thief, and you got him killed for it. I tried to become you for a minute, but it wasn't worth it. I'll take my lumps, go back to my life, but I won't be the one hearing my dead friend's screams in my head. Vic retorts, you preach all the existential bull stars you want. I'm the one going home to my bed while you're still here. I'm at peace, are you? Vic finishes soon enough. Such a classic dialogue sequence. Vic would later be shown in the last five minutes of the seven season run ending sequence in a crisp white collar dress shirt Miserable, both for his past misdeeds swimming around in his cerebellum, but also because he is confined to a white-collared chair for three years 
typing single-space daily reports. The epitome of misery. He has to find some nocturnal vigilance nightly to find some modicum of purpose and peace. Do you ever feel like that at your current post listeners, that you are absolutely miserable sitting in your WC chair? This is where we get real philosophical. I assure you it's worth it. From some internet information, the Millennial's Guide to Philosophy, What Every Man Needs to Know About Living Life on His Own Terms by Gordon Brown. So there's this philosopher, Albert Camus, question that he posed in his philosophical teachings. Is life even worth living? Question mark. That was a very real issue for those in the first half of the 20th century. Many had already suffered so much, the atrocities of the war to end all wars, only to find the stage set for fresh horror. Kind of like when your boss says the war to end all wars, when your boss says they heard your complaints about innumerable emails loud and clear, and they will band-aid the problem. So they send fewer emails, but each email has a surfeit of embedded links to click on. Oh, thanks for nothing. The wallowing misery of the Great Depression, the firebombing of Dresden, the gas chambers of Auschwitz, the unimaginable devastation in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We were faced with an indifferent, unfeeling universe. All across the world questioned if there was a point to it at all. For iconoclastic thinker Albert Camus, the answer was yes. Now, iconoclast is a good word. It means to tear down formerly respected ideas to challenge the in-place system. I tried that at my former WCC many times and mostly to no avail, but I tried. I tried to ripple the complacent wake of dull thoughts and up the stakes on safe bets. This is what Mr. Camus told us. He's considered an existentialist. He rejected the idea that the universe has a purpose, one that we can comprehend anyway. You might have experienced this in life. Good often goes unrewarded, evil goes unpunished, and random chance dictates much of our lives. But what distinguished him from other existentialists was that he placed on our need to understand this crazy existence a lot of emphasis. He called the human condition the absurd. The universe is chaotic, it's an uncaring place, but we humans are not. We are unique. Among other animals, we have a self-awareness that can be a curse and a blessing, and we're tasked with the heavy burden of being rational in an unrational world. The absurd is a state in which we're compelled to make sense of a world that we cannot make sense of. I have mentioned the myth of Sisyphus. It's a Greek mythology where Sisyphus was punished and ultimately had to roll a boulder up a hill day after day after day for the rest of his existence. Here's a quote from Mr. Camus. Man stands face to face with the irrational. He feels within him his longing for happiness and for reason. The absurd is born of this confrontation between the human need and the unreasonable silence of the world, myth of Sisyphus. Living in the absurd isn't just tough, it's agonizing. And confronted with this inescapable situation, Camus believed that every person had to pick one of three options. Suicide, a leap of faith, or blunt recognition of the facts. Suicide, as he saw it, was an admission that life was not worth living. Applying a sports analogy, it's like knowing the points of a game on the scoreboard don't matter, so why don't you just walk away from the game? But Camus found this was not a good option. Apply this to your station at your WCC audience. You have three options in line with Camus' philosophy. You can self-conclude yourself, or you can quit your company. Quitting your company may be your only escape. If you just leave and abandon your company, that would be the equivalent of his version of suicide, where you just give up. But that may be a viable option. I am not Camus. I'm applying this from a WCC perspective. He also did not care for the second option, which was the leap of faith. This is what he called substituting the real world for a comforting narrative. This can be religion or binge-watching your favorite streaming service. It can be blind acceptance of anyone or anything that claims to have all of life's answers. You must be weary of this. 
Examples are consumerism, mindless faith in science, or otherworldly affairs. This is what he referred to as a living death. It's like living in denial. Now, to be fair, this is a viable option, and you perform this partly when you let these healing chemohawk sessions wash over your senses. I have wound up a guru of sorts, though that is not my intention. At work, this would be distracting yourself from the excruciating tedium and sometimes tumult work affords you. By living for the weekend and cranking up the volume in your life, drinking that cavassier or that Patron in your cup, good times, right? This is what an in-law cousin of mine is doing right F-stars now. She's dancing around Portugal like a fairy, hiding, running, sliding down sand dunes, and turning a blind eye and telling a loose lie about her purpose on this planet. She is experiencing escapism. For Camus, there was only one admirable option, rebellion. The way he saw it, the only way for us to retain our rationality was to accept the cold truth that the universe does not care, but continue to love our lives anyway. The absurd man understands his own insignificance, but does not allow himself to be destroyed by it. Think of this at your WCC. Know that you're insignificant, that you're one cog in the system, but don't let it destroy you. Still find value in helping others and take everything with a bottle, a massive jug of salt. There was only one way to truly turn everything against itself and be happy, and that was imagining Sisyphus happy. So here he is, damned by the gods, pushing an enormous boulder up the side of a mountain, and every day the boulder rolls down and he must begin that task daily and forever all over again. But Camus instructs us that the struggle itself towards the top of that mountain is enough to fill a man's heart. You must imagine Sisyphus happy and don't see it as a daily torture. We're not that unlike Sisyphus. We get up, work, eat, sleep, and repeat, all with precious few breaks in between. Some of you won't even leave your desktop. Some of you would stay anchored to your chair for hours, even though your bladder is screaming for that sweet release. You work too hard, audience. You get caught in that trap, that cycle. I ask that you step away from it. Reevaluate. But in spite of all that, it's still worth living. Life is still worth living. Quote from Mr. Camus, In the depths of winter, I finally learned that within me there lay an invincible summer. Camus tells us, Real defiance is in the face of an indifferent universe, means being able to throw ourselves enthusiastically into our efforts, even though you know they're not going to last. My boy Lambro would tell you that the football game matters. J-Dog, that Ali's boxing feats still resonate. Clint would tell you that the love of an American muscle car, the cold metal precision that crafted it, matters. Brooks would tell you that a hilarious comedic skit or UFC fight defies banality. Lamb Bamcam would tell you that a competitive round of shuffleboard or a good pool break pulls you from that pit of a frustrating day. At work, this option means shouldering the lunatics and leaning into the vapid workplace philosophy, working hard for the sake of diligent labor, having no illusions about the immaterial material but recognizing you can still find rich relics in the ruins. Whatever you decide, dear listeners, I support your approach. If Sisyphus can find happiness in an endless, meaningless cycle, then perhaps we all can. Lastly, from Mr. Camus, it is essential to die unreconciled and not of one's own free will. This basically means that as we are individuals moving in the world, millennials in particular, it can often feel there's a critical need for us to get everything right, an unbearable pressure to prove ourselves as capable, self-sufficient adults in a hyper-competitive world. This should harken back to these fairly fresh concepts of imposter syndrome, which I hate and I will get to in a future episode, or F-star self-sabotage. Have you heard about these, these retarded expressions? I have, and we're going to hit on those later. Do not care about your reports, your productivity charts, your managerial duties, or housekeeping duties more than you should, loyal listeners. And now that we've been good and philosophical, it's time to share a personal testimony. Personal nugget time. 
There I was laying in the hospital bed. I had a ridiculous periwinkle blue hospital gown on. And my doctor, my Indian oncologist, who we call Dr. Net, he was standing there looking like Jack Kevorkian with these rubber gloves on. He had the COVID mask on and he was staring at me. And he said, as I leaned over to grab my jug of water from a hospital table bed, falsetto, you just showed that nurse your butt. It was hilarious. I told him, yes, I did, Dr. Net. And that gesture will not die of loneliness. This will happen many, many more times. Just wait till I get my first FSAR shower in about 35 days. I came back from the hospital more confident than ever. My body was scarred. I have a wicked, kind of a half-broken clown smile, Batman style, on my back, where they, they entered in through my ribcage. But my body was scarred and emaciated. But with a full head of faux hawk hair, a survivor, my personality intact and unruffled, I went back to my WCC with a blazer and sexy shark fin hair. Not that the company cared. I had new perspective, boldness, and I was not afraid to spread it. That is a win in my ledger, dear audience. This was as deep and penetrating as an angry sun's rays. Boom! I am thrilled with how that went. We went philosophical, and now we can get practical, as we practically unwind that F-Star's daily disjointing grind. This was a thrill and gave me a chill. And remember, audience, as far as the philosopher Camus goes, did you know that Neil Macaulay, portrayed by Robert De Niro in that crime opus Heat, learning more about the prequel slash sequel novel that was released recently, delves deeper and provides more closure on circumstances surrounding that crime saga. Neil read Camus when he was in prison, which honors his character beautifully, for he is often reflecting on his purpose, his skill set, and the danger of material possessions and attachment. This was meant to be a Chemohawk session short, I would call it now a mid-length episode, but man, that was some grand subject matter. Stay tuned for your next full dose of Chemohawk sessions, as I will have the sweetly demonic Red F-Stars Devilon as a guest. In the words of Neil Macaulay in Heat, Don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. Falsetto out.